Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs>
brought for us to discuss today is a chapter from the Kobold's Guide to Game Design. Now, previously in an episode, we used a selection from the Kobold Guide to Monsters. This is another book of essays by game industry professionals, uh, spearheaded by Wolfgang Bauer, who is one of the head writers at Kobold Press, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, He's been writing for a very long time. And it is a series of chapters and articles all about designing games, which is very apropos for what we're doing. The text that we're going to be looking at today is the Cobalt Guides to Game Design, which, uh, like the Cobalt Guide to Monsters, is a series of essays written by game industry professionals that deal with a central concept. The monster book deals with monsters. This book deals with how to create games, which is very appropriate for what we're talking about here. Right. Now, early in the book, Wolfgang Bauer talks about setting and mechanics and things like that. And he talks about, I thought this made me feel kind of good. There, There's going to be the theme for the episode today is things that make me feel good and then the things that don't. Okay. So and those things are, I'm probably pretty neutral on. You're, you are going to be my rock. Gotcha. So, <laughs> um, the sections that, uh, in the beginning of the book, Wolfgang Bauer talks about how the setting and the mechanics need to be developed in concert with each other. He talks about how you can't just do one and then the other. You ha- kind of have to do them both at the same time, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool because that's what we have discovered very quickly in yeah. our process yeah. is that everything kind of has to be done at the same time. The other thing he put out there that this gave me, I was slightly worried about, just slightly, okay. is he talks about designing what matters. Where, are you worried because of the deadline that we're under to no. get this world out on time? We, we don't have a deadline. Yeah, so relax. Oh. <laughs> you don't I see what there. you did there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. um, no, it's, it's more about the fact of that, which I've talked to you before, that fear of over-designing. Like, oh, yeah. Do we need to like create something for everything? He talks about, in fact... Well, it's because we would both love to over-design. Oh well, yeah, like I we mean, would love to sit there and make the slither shadows. Well, have we have we designed the kaiju version yet? No, we haven't designed the whole. <laughs> See? But thank you for putting that on the TBD. <laughs> that's totally there because right? yeah, that's the full reversioned. Oh yeah, <laughs> no it it comes from this constant this constant anxiety I have over not wanting to make a misstep sure. while forgetting the fact that the whole purpose of the creation and design process is to allow yourself to make missteps mm-hmm. so you can go back and fix them. Right. We are not on a deadline. No one has given us a check as an advance on this publishing, and we are literally doing not, this not yet anyway. for fun. Yeah. So it should be fun. It is I'm fun. having fun. You are Can't you fun. tell? Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> so It is fun. Yeah. So he talks about designing what matters. So I want to make sure that we are, that is something just to think about, that we're mm-hmm. always thinking about what matters in our design. But again, if we're learning the skill, then we can design some things that don't matter because right. we can always kick them out later and they don't have to be part of a product. You know, and this kind of brings me to a thought that I've had, and I have had this discussion with my wife in the past on different subjects. Um, now, I understand one of our uh, one of our core ideas was always going to be, we'll read these articles, we'll see how they do them, um, and we'll utilize them. But I there's a lot of books that tell you how to do a lot of things. Um, you know, I know this has come up in the past organization, how to organize a house. And, you know, and sometimes it's just harder to do it the way somebody, you have to give yourself the grace and room to make your own version. Marie Kondo, your Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah. Cause maybe 
maybe the way we come up with is different or maybe you know we're we're if, if we try to stay too much on the same track as someone else maybe maybe Astrock doesn't become everything we want it to right you know so it's it's a weird balance to read this stuff and i'm sure he has great stuff but you got to make sure that it still has to be a a, a talent and josh uh jam jam yeah it's, yeah you know again so wise so yeah, zen just, let's let's just let it you know it's great to take what we want um you know but just I, I think I've said this before. I kind of live by a Buddha said once, you know, don't take anything for granted. Take even me. You know, if, if something I Buddha says to you, does it make sense? Throw it out. You know, just keep what you want. So right. remember, we won't follow anything directly in the book, but eventually, you know, we'll write our own chapter in it. That's the idea. That was, that was startlingly wise. <laughs> I'm, I'm shook. I am shook to my, <laughs> shook to my core. Um, he, so Wolfgang Bauer talks yeah. about in these early chapters of the book, he talks about having a central idea and not and allowing yourself to design your world, your campaign, your game design around a central idea. And the example he uses is one he worked on called Empire of the Ghouls, which is by Cobalt Press. I will yeah. put a link to that in the show notes. I will also put a link to the Cobalt Guide to Game Design. I will link them both to the Cobalt Press store. Okay. So... He designed The Empire of the Ghouls. It is a campaign book, and it is set around the idea of ghouls having an underdark civilization. They're not just mindless corpse eaters. They have an underground civilization. And he talks about how he doesn't like kitchen sink game settings. He doesn't like the the kind of setting where, well, there's a place for everything. Just shove it all in there. And he he's, he sees that as, as muddied water. I get okay. the sense when I read what he writes. Mm -hmm. And he says, when I wrote Empire of the Ghouls, or when we worked on Empire of the Ghouls, it had one central tenant, and that tenant was cannibalism. Okay. Cannibalism. He just, one word, cannibalism. And I think he expands that into maybe like a sentence. But that's the central idea of the entire campaign that he wrote. So I thought that was good advice. Now, our world that we're talking about is a little bit of a kitchen sink setting, right? Though, in that we want there to be room for everything. Clearly define kitchen sink, though, just so that I... I mean, I know I'm thinking it, it that we cover every possible thing that a everything, including the kitchen sink, right? right. So that anything a gamer could possibly, uh, a player could possibly ask the dungeon master. He the answer is always up. yes. He could. Well, well, is it that he could look it up? Is is that what a kitchen sink world is? Where it'd be like somebody be like, "What shape is the paper of this world?" You Does know? it have the corners cut off? Does it have the corners cut off? We're going to bring it right you know? back to Battlestar Galactica. Right. Shout out to uh, never heard of it. Um, <laughs> right? Like, is that is that what we mean by kitchen sink? Is that what he means by t way too many details, uh, irrelevant details, or I think you know, maybe a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Okay, uh, making sure that you don't. He talks about world building. In fact, mm -hmm. he says that like world building should be like ten percent of your product. Okay, and the rest of it should be mechanics, player options, monsters, things like that. But lore should only be about 10%. Now, lore is for a dungeon master. Yeah. All the rest of the stuff is for the game. Right. That's, I think, a smart thing to think about. I think that no matter what we do, we're going to end up with more than 10% lore, but I think you need more material than you want to dial it back to where you want it. Sure. So better to have, better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Okay. But the idea of that central tenant i liked i like him talking about like cannibalism i'm like oh that's that's actually i can see that i've mm -hmm. seen empire of the ghouls i've flipped through it yeah it's a very interesting campaign and i can totally see how it's just cannibalism yeah. um is a cornerstone or the keystone of that whole thing yeah. so here's a question i would put to you mm -hmm. what is the cornerstone slash keystone slash central tenant slash main theme of esterok what is the central I know what I think it is. 
But I would say, and we used this word before, we kind of came up with it before, the cosmic isolation. Cosmic isolation. Okay. For me, that, 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 you know, when what I mean is that it's, it's a world where they're all in it together. There's, that at this point, they've, you know, at least half the population has, has accepted that nobody's coming to save, you know, to save you. This is the world you live on. And I don't know, that's what always comes up to me. When I think of stuff, that's what I usually lean into. So that's really interesting because I hadn't considered that. Mm-hmm. I had considered the cosmic isolation, of course, in the process of designing everything and writing everything that we've written. Mm-hmm. But I had not thought of that as the key cornerstone uh, theme right. of Estrock being cosmic isolation. Well, and I love it. And I do that mostly because when we originally kind of spitball the idea, it was that uh, there was a gold rush here, everyone was here, everyone was trapped. And then one time we were talking, and I think I threw out cosmic isolation, that they're Mm -hmm. cut off from everything, that you can't, um, there's no prophecy coming of a thing coming from it. You know, that's... The heavens are not going to part, and light is not going to descend, and your Savior will not be born. Right, that's, that's, you know, and then so everyone has to figure, has to, it's, it's going to factor into everybody's mind one way or another, and I don't know. That, that's always what when I think of ideas, I kind of remember, oh, there's there's I, I yeah, that's what I think of. Let's see right. top. Yeah. My cornerstone idea that I had was the idea of nature as an antagonist. Mm-hmm. So I've really been leaning into in my own thought process that nature aggressively trying to take back itself. Right. As being the cornerstone, it's this is because I've been also living and breathing ideas about the verge. Mm-hmm. So so I went more existential in my. You went you went deep yeah. thought yeah. and I was thinking more concrete. I don't right. think the two are mutually exclusive. Not at all, actually. But um, and it's it's the idea of the players being in between a rock and a hard place. They're mm-hmm. cosmically iso- cosmically isolated, right? And yet the world is trying to take itself back from them, right? Well, Ooh. I mean. Yeah, because that's what I was saying. Because and also, I, well, I mean, I was just thinking. So, we have the people who are up. You know, the the ones who are anti Iliastrians. Iliastrians. Iliaster. It'll be easy eventually for me. Um, or maybe it won't, and we have to rename it. Uh, also, no, possibly. I really like it, so I have to I train know. myself. So, um, you know, the the people that are against it and the people that are for it. I mean, is that the theme? Well, that's two different philosophies for dealing with cosmic isolation in a world yeah. trying to take itself. Either back. you go with it or go against it. That's how it the ultimately... supple reed bends in the wind. Yeah. Yep. Um, or the rigid reed breaks in I the suppo- wind. I mean, I don't know. Logically, the exact logically, of that. that's where it. That's where it concludes. So, and that's. Yeah. But I think that that's all ties into that. Your idea is that that's yeah. how people deal with the fact that you're trapped. Right. This is a world where people, the the people, the players, are in between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. They are cosmically isolated right. and the world doesn't want them there right it is trying to actively get rid of them at yeah, all yeah because i don't feel anybody is exceptionally comfortable at any given point no even the people who are at peace with the virgin nature mm-hmm. and the effect of iliastron creatures in themselves right even being at peace with that is more of a fatalistic peace to a certain extent it could be seen that way yeah yeah absolutely. so they're just well this is our lot this yeah is, th- this is where we live it's our home so we got to make the best of it mm-hmm even after, and I love that idea that even after a thousand years on this planet, it's still like, no, we're still kind of stuck. Right. It's because, you know, culturally in their DNA, the, the only shared cultural DNA they have is, you know, um, that nothing nothing changes. I mean, they, they, there's going to be stories and I would think tales where they remember that there was a time. I mean, everyone seems, we seem to agree that everybody knew that there was a thriving I think of, that there's an awareness that they yeah. came from other worlds. And that that's just not changing anymore. And I think that that's going to be one of the things we develop with the peoples is that they're trying to get off world and recognizing right. they couldn't. Yeah. 
but so we have a lot of the ingredients of a centralized theme. Yeah, I really, I, I, I really I think I we think do. if we just sit and and we go back over this recording, we could solidify it into one mm-hmm. pretty easily. Yeah, I'm yeah. really digging the rock in a hard place idea. Yeah, yep. that the world is fighting you, and the the cosmos has said, "No, you're you're staying. You're yep. stuck." Yep. So it's like being stuck in the the Indiana Jones room with the the slowly mm-hmm. closing walls. Yeah, and you got to reach through your your little switch of bugs. Yes, you know. What's that character's name? Oh, uh, in Temple of Doom, it's a where he it's, sticks his face in the window and he's like, "We are going to die." Oh, but um, she doesn't want to touch the bugs to pull the lever. What is her name? Uh, it is a traditionally masculine name, right? Isn't is it? it like Charlie or something like that? It's something like that. Okay, but yes, yeah, yeah. That's that's so many good parts in Temple of Doom. That's another so many good parts in and my least favorite. Indiana Jones movie. It, it is only, that it's made. only by default and also, you know, probably the hardest to revisit, but yeah, um, for another time. Um, no, I mean, the whole heroic, the way India is portrayed as like a hero in that is great. Like the whole, when he knocks the guy out and they have the, the low camera angle come up at him as he, you know, it's cool. There's a lot of cool set pieces and yeah. moments in that movie. Yeah, and really good. And we're, we'll save it for our other podcast called <laughs> That's Problematic. <laughs> right. So, right. um, so yeah, that was what I wanted to talk about uh, as far as the introduction to this book. I want to talk more specifically about one of the chapters in it. But before I do that, I want to hit you with a random encounter. Oh, okay. Okay? Yep. So my random encounter today is was going to be one thing. Right. And now it's something different. Yeah. The... Because in the, the way I was a supple reed and I bent with the wind, I received <sighs> in the mail the other day one of my Kickstarters. It was like, it was something I paid for over a year ago and it showed up in the mail and again, I keep coming back to Cobalt Press, yeah. um, but I received my copy of Tomb, uh, Tome of Beasts 3, their final Tome of Beasts book. So I now own Tome of Beasts, Tome of Beasts 2, Creature Codex, and now Tome of Beasts 3. Okay. What's Creature Codex? Uh, Creature Codex was a monster book they did that didn't align with the Tome of Beasts theme, and I don't know why. All right. I know. It throws off the the line a little bit. It also throws it off that I have the full size version of this one right. and the pocket size of the others. So mm. now obviously I have to buy the full size of the others to match this, <laughs> right? Of course, of course. My wife is listening. No, I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. But yes, I'm. You may hear pages flipping as I as I hold this this prop in my hand because mm. I immediately was like, "Ooh, yay, a new thing!" Yeah. And it showed up in the book uh, in the mail. I took it. I opened it up and I started flipping through it. And I started looking at all these cool monsters, and immediately my brain goes to, oh, that'd be cool in Astarok. Oh, that'd be cool. Which Astarok. is great. We've done a great job of creating a world very compatible with 5e product. Yes, exactly. And that's how you saw it? That, well, what I saw, <laughs> yeah. you already know where I'm going to go with this, I bet. Yeah. Um, I immediately started looking at these monsters and went, wow, these are so creative, mm-hmm. novel, cool, well-designed, engaging, just awesome yeah i could never do this you'd almost think that the guys who did this are professionals right is this their first book they've never done this before tome of beast three you know it's the third one kind of like it's actually the the fourth fourth. one (laughs) yeah 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 um yes and it was just uh two guys no how many how many writers are there um well i mean does it credit the entire staff well the publisher is wolfgang bauer of course we're gonna come back to him yeah um no the 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 designer, it's got a group of like 10 designers. Oh, oh plus guest designers. Plus guest designers. Plus backer designers. Yeah. Oh, one of the things for this Kickstarter was you could submit a monster and if it was okay. selected, it'd be in the book. And it's also got a group of like 10 lead designers. Yeah. That's the designers. So this is a team. 
This is a large team. So yeah. Um, but none well, how of them come, really how come I can't be as good as a large team of professionals who have been doing this for 30 years now? Yeah, I think that that question is the answer. So I guess my, <laughs> my random encounter yeah. would be the idea of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. the idea of a quote that you like to throw out sometimes that I really love, and I, I'm assuming you got it from somewhere else, and I don't know where it's from, but it's that comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah, I, I, I think it comes from somewhere. Um, um, but it's so true. Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking about the fact that our, the episode that of ours that just aired this week was mm-hmm. the stat block for the Slither Shadow, Yeah. which I was proud of. We did a good job. I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's done, but I'm, yeah. we made a monster. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. There cool. it is. We wrote lore to go with it mm-hmm. and I couldn't help but go, oh, my, my monster's not as cool as these, these, these monsters are so cool. Yeah. How come my monster can't be this cool as he flips through the book loudly into the microphone? Right. So, yeah, how does one deal with... Well, for those of us who are plagued with the idea right, of I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> imposter syndrome yeah. and feeling like, oh, I could never do that, mm-hmm. how do you think... What do you think is the best way to deal with that? As someone who I don't think of as traditionally having that struggle, what um, would your advice to someone like me who is not a pillar of self-confidence be? Oh, it's the same. But you already hit on it. It's the comparison is the thief of all joy. I, I mean, once I came across, I'm trying to remember exactly where I came across that name or that saying. Um, but once I did, I started to apply it so often that, um, I don't know, I guess if you kind of meditate on it and ruminate on it, uh, you realize how silly it is to compare yourself to the resources someone else has, you can only do... Who does it come from? Who says that? Hopefully not a bad person. Tell me not a bad person. I suppose it would depend upon your point of view. Okay. Um, the quote is, according to this random article that I just Googled, mm-hmm. um, Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Well, Theodore okay. Roosevelt. Listen. Okay. Well, there, there's a whole thing there, but um, I don't know. I haven't felt... I have not felt... Um, imposter syndrome on things in a very, very long time because my own personal experiences in life have pushed me to address them head on and, mm-hmm. and push through it. You're very um, zen. Yeah, about that. I mean, I'm certain, I mean, you've seen, there There are some things that do get me kind of worked up, but um, I don't know. I, I don't think I can really offer advice except what I just did to you. Like, let's be a little bit logical here. Right. You know? um, yeah, they came up with great ideas. Well, there was a billion minds in the room. Right. And who knows who did the heavy lifting? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we really want to get down to it, and again, I haven't looked at the book, and I'm certainly not criticizing anybody. Um, how original is that? You know, like, you know, could we? Could we? Here's what I think. I think we could make an amazing, awesome book, just as big. If we, you said there were, uh, if we took the D and D monster manual and went through and reskinned. You know, we took we took some ideas that were already there, and then just started going. Oh, it'd be cool if it could do this. It could. You know what? I, yeah. I, I I guess I just. I almost have to contort myself to, to to look at it like that because I keep the perspective. Keep some perspective, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, perspective would be the advice. You know, I mean, you mm-hmm. you of course know this. That it's yeah. not a it's not a logical response. This no, is a it's not purely anxiety. So then I guess you response. have to force yeah. a logic. You have to force logic onto it. Okay. You have to push it into the conversation because it's not generally there. Mm-hmm. Um, because this can it can affect everything, and it, mm-hmm. it can affect your writing. It can mm-hmm. affect the design ideas. It can affect yeah, like. I think it's probably why a lot of products get started and not finished. You know what it is? And this is maybe, now that we're, this, talk about a random encounter right on the fly. So now that I'm thinking about it as I'm sitting here and I'm running through my head, um, and if as my wife is listening in the car right now, she is shaking her head, I used to draw all 
the time. When oh, yeah? I was a kid, I had a UC Rowan, mm-hmm. um, my kiddo, our artist for the Slither Show. Absolutely. Always has uh, their iPad. They always have their, um, or at the very least, a sketchbook. sketchbook that was yeah. that was me. I was always, always, always drawing. How come I've never seen any of your drawings? Um, because uh, I picked up Uncanny X Men two fifty six, which was the first comic I ever read right out of your back pocket. Yeah, that was one of my favorite comics. You know, I would say probably still ever. It was a flashback of Wolverine and, and Captain America teaming up, but they were never in the comic at the same time. It was it's really great. Um, but it was my first time ever seeing Jim Lee art, mm-hmm. which ironically now isn't exactly my favorite art. But um, then I really started to see the art because Jim Lee would eventually go off to become you know to help form Image Comics, which was uh, you know Todd McFarlane, sure. uh, Eric Larson, you know at the time in the '90s, legendary, great, great pencilers, amazing artists, and all of the sudden, all the buckles and pockets yeah. of the '90s. Yeah, well, you know, was, um, all of the sudden though, I can't do that. You know what I mean? Like, what's the point of me drawing this? What What's the point of my drawing of Superman? You know, it's, it's, I can't do Wolverine like this guy. All of a sudden, zest for drawing totally disappeared. Wow. And that would later become like a big, uh, you know, via therapy and, you know, you know my wife and she's very wise also and all these different things. It became like a big hang up. I went back and I just, God, that sucks that I stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I always encourage Rowan. But I guess um, my answer to your imposter syndrome is I've, I've dealt with it um, and I've paid the price for it, I suppose. Okay. Um, but I had to force logic into the conversation so that I understood comparison is the thief of joy. Right. Now, um, and yeah. I, when I teach children, mm-hmm. I very often have a phrase that I use with them. I say that everyone who's good at something began as someone who stinks at something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, bastardized from someplace, I've heard that quote. Right. But everyone who's good at something began as someone who was not good at it. Yeah. And that... I can tell that to someone else and then mm-hmm. still open up this monster book and go, oh, that's right. cool. I'll never be able to do that. Right. So you, you have to force the logic into it. Yeah. You have to, you know, I, you know, I have a, um, it's a, pho- you know, I have a phobia of uh, asteroids and things like that. Okay. Um, you know, cosmic destruction, right? Uh, nothing I can do about it. So the fear is irrational. I am no longer crippled with the fear because I read about it. I forced logic into my fear. And I now understand the odds and the chances and, and this and that, and it, it, it relieves it. So that's all right. So again, I guess you have to take a minute and you, well, recognizing it is good, right? Like you oh, recognize I always, it. yeah. I'm, so then what you need to do is really takes as much energy, at least a 25% of the energy of recognizing it and ruminating on it and just add, take 25% of logic and put it in there. Like, what are you doing? You know, just right. talk to yourself, talk yourself right through it. Like, what am I doing? And I will feel that I do feel as though that's one where area where I'm at least one step ahead mm-hmm. is that I, I can recognize, oh yeah, you're just, this is, this is imposter syndrome. Right. Unless I have imposter syndrome about having imposter syndrome and I'm really just not talented. And it's just, I think it's imposter syndrome because it's a easier thing to deal with than actually accepting that I'm actually not talented. Yeah, no. Because you can have imposter syndrome about having imposter syndrome. No, you can't. No? No. Okay. That's... No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think that was... But I think that was a nice... I think that's important in... No, of course. In creation and design. Of course. Deal with the hurdles. Deal with these things that may... Well, I mean, because also in, in part... Because... Um, I definitely still do this. I mean, you got to make sure you're not sabotaging yourself. Like, right. maybe I'm doing a really great job here. Maybe I'm actually feeling some pride in what I'm doing. Until if, I open up the tone. And if you're not comfortable, but if you're not comfortable with it, you're going to let that 
snatch it from you really quick, right. you know, and, you know, I think a lot of people deal with that. So maybe that's another thing. Be hmm. proud of what you're doing and be comfortable being proud of it. So I mean, it was us with our first episode of this. Remember, we were expecting to finish that zero zero episode and go, good God, what were we ever thinking? And we ended up kind of liking it. Yeah, we really liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say then that you're the, so if you listening at home mm-hmm. are dealing with something similar in your creation process, in your desire to create something, right? and you hit that wall or you get those feelings that you know, threaten to creep up and stop you from doing what you're doing. Don't compare your work to a seasoned professional. Don't compare mm-hmm. your work to someone who's doing it with a team. Don't compare your work to someone who's been doing it for a hundred years because that's you're just sabotaging yourself. Yeah, it's you getting in your own way. Don't so. get in your own way. Mm-hmm. And just take a moment to recognize, pause, yep. recognize, yeah. accept where you are in your journey and keep mm-hmm. going from there. I mean, nobody will get in your way more than you because no matter where you are, there you are. <laughs> You know, the other thing that made me think of this was I, I don't know if you noticed, mm-hmm. I created the first reel on Instagram. I did notice for the fourth pillar play. Yeah, uh, my son liked it, he liked it, and I was like, Oh, did you like my reel? He goes, Well, it wasn't good, but I liked it. <laughs> I was like, Thanks, Jake. <laughs> That's awesome. It was, listen, it was fine. I'm right. I, and then I started looking at other people's reels, and I was like, Oh, yeah. did I just embarrass myself? No. But at least I did it under the anonymity you embarrassed us. of you the embarrassed, podcast. If you embarrassed yourself at all, you embarrassed yourself to our 30 closest friends, family, and night shift radio members. We, we care about their opinions, too. And we do. But I mean, oh, that and uh, oh, no, that's our Twitter that has like four models. Yes. Named, <laughs> we Naomi. do have models. And one game publishing company. Yeah. I think two. Two oh, guys. Two, it, I think. Yeah. We have, I know we have an artist yep. who works for a publishing company and we have Kwood Publishing. Yeah. And I think us. there's one other one. Oh, is there? Okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't been looking at Twitter as much lately right. because I'm trying to come to terms with the fact that we're probably not going to be on Twitter for much longer. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Not once the election gets going. I can see it oh, becoming geez, a cesspool. It's gonna be Exactly. It's going to be a nightmare. So I think that that, I mean, I feel like that's a good wrap yeah. on our random encounter. Yeah, I would say so. Random encounter defeated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the chapter that I want to look at from this book, and I'm just going to hit some of the points in it very quickly as we discuss, but because yeah. I want to really dive into our really starting to brainstorm some mechanical things. Yeah. So this is, you know, that'll become the point in the episode where people who are not D&D people are going to start to like go, okay, next episode. Though Um, that hasn't been happening. That hasn't been happening. Historically, we were getting questions now. So So, um, one of the chapters, chapter five in the Cobalt Guides to Game Design is called Seize the Hook by Rob Heinsu. Yeah. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't know. Uh, Rob Heinsu was the lead designer for Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition. And this is a a longish chapter. He goes on uh, at length about some things. But why I chose this is that Mm -hmm. the entire central focus of this chapter is on coming to terms with what your mechanic is. Right. So he talks about designing a central mechanic for your game. And he has three rules, which I think are interesting. His first rule is design a game you want to play but can't because no one else has designed it yet. Do I, I, I haven't read every single campaign setting in the world. I Me don't either. know if... That if, was my first problem when I read it. I was like, uh, I, uh, who knows, right? I'm going to make a good faith effort. Yeah, exactly. So not a lot to say with that first point. Cre- I'm creating in good faith. In we're good faith. creating in good faith. Yeah. Or we're at least attempting to. Yeah. Unless we're failing at that because really we're... No, I'm just, sorry. I'm coming back to <laughs> imposter syndrome. Um, his rule number two is don't be satisfied with your design until you found the key mechanical hook that captures the game's theme, creating an experience that's something like the experience being portrayed by your game. That's the one that I really liked. Yeah. 
that's the one where I was like, oh, the key mechanic. What's going to set an Estorok Dungeons and Dragons game apart from every other Dungeons and Dragons game? And I was thinking about how, like, a lot of different campaigns have some sort of a central tenet. You play a Call of Cthulhu game, and it's madness. Mm-hmm. You play mm-hmm. um, an Eberron game. He's got dragon marks, which are a key part yep. of the game. And I'm sure there's others that I, of course, can't think of off well, the top I of mean, my head. Well, I mean, I was just watching an interview with um, uh, concerning Dragonlance, which okay. will be coming out. And Dragonlance feats are a huge part of Dragonlance. Um, but specifically, the classes and all the worlds are Dragonlance world specific. The Knights of Salamnia will be coming back. The um, Was it the Wizards of the Moon? Lunar Sorcerers. Lunar Sorcerers, right. So they you know, they have their own mechanic right, right there. And, it's a, and they, they each function differently. They, have specific, they also have Lunar Wizards, yeah. too. Because, they have the red, the black. Right, red, yeah. black, and white. Yep. Um, so, but those are Dragonlance mechanics, and they were actually talking in this interview. It was on YouTube uh, for the D and D official. With the, you know, um, you really can't steal uh, any of the content from Dragonlance and move it into, say, a Candlekeep campaign or uh, because it's Citadel. so clearly it's Dragonlance. so specifically for Dragonlance. So it has its own. Yeah, because I think about the Dragon Marks because I, I was just, you know, I just uh, leveled my character in Dragon Marks. I think it's one of the feats that comes up when I look oh, yeah, at it through D&D Beyond. Yeah, like, as your Dungeon like, Master, you can't pick Dragon yeah, Marks. Obviously, feats. I can't <laughs> use those. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, but I like this idea of key mechanic, and I was thinking about, okay, so what's our key mechanic going to be? And I think we already know what our key mechanic is going to be. We've been bandying it about as something right. we're going to eventually develop. But I think if it's going to be our key mechanic, and a lot of things are going to descend from it, you know, right. are, are going to evolve from it, we really should at least hash out a draft of our key mechanic. He talks about how the key mechanic um, can be a lot of different things, but he says that that you want to match the mechanic to the experience. Mm -hmm. So if our world's theme, so if the mechanic is supposed to gel with your theme of your world, as we talked about from the beginning chapters of this book, if our theme is rock in a hard place, cosmically isolated, and the world doesn't want you there, Mm -hmm. how does our key mechanic play into that so what do you see just i'll just i'm sure you're gonna have the same answer to me what do you see as the key mechanic of esterok josh it's the uh iliaster reversion revergence yeah. exactly so in the world of esterok <clears throat> in the world of esterok revergence is the process by which living creatures animals humanoids intelligent animal beasts doesn't matter are slowly I, the word i can think of is reabsorbed Mm-hmm. by the world reclaimed reclaimed I, mm-hmm. yeah we originally were like maybe you call it reclamation yeah um but revergence incorporated our verge yeah i like that into it and mm-hmm. it's not a word that exists anywhere revergence is not a real word so it's ours now mine yeah. i took it <laughs> yeah um until someone says that's a stupid word and then i'll doubt it for the rest of my life all right well, i'll tell you in advance it's not okay cool so revergence is going to be our key mechanic so I wanted Revergence. When I was thinking about Revergence, I thought, mm-hmm. hey, we should make Revergence something that people can lean into, but then it becomes dangerous. Right. So if you have something that provides game benefit mm-hmm. and people can lean into the game benefits to get something, because we do know that players love to choose things that customize and empower their characters. Yep. Players want to do cool stuff. Yeah. We could give them something cool to do with their character, but also play with the theme of the world's trying to take you back and you are stuck. Yeah, You are in a rock and a hard place. If you ride this line, mm-hmm. you may lose control. Yep. You may lose your character. 
I think about the madness mechanic in a Call of Cthulhu game. Madness is never good. Mm-hmm. You start getting layer, layer levels of madness, and it's never good. You it just you're just gathering up bad stuff on your character until eventually you lose your character. Yeah. Um, Dragon marks and Eberron are never bad, as far as I know. There's aberrant ones, but they still are just mechanical benefits that people take. It's a, yeah. a pretty simplistic uh, way of again personalizing and creating a cool mechanic, and it gels really well with this like arcane punk of Eberron. Yeah. His third rule that people should follow is that you understand and follow through on the full implications of your game's mechanical hook, which I think meshes with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, th- you know, I was just thinking, is there a yin to the end? Is there something like counter-vergence? Can you go too far in resisting Iliaster's pull? I don't know. Okay. Sorry. Just that's came a, to my mind. That's an idea. Yeah. Like that could be the far end. So the people up there are resisting so much, but then there's got to be a detriment to resisting nature so much that... Well, we've talked about how if they resist it too much, then they are much more susceptible. It's much more dangerous to them. Right. Almost like, you know, you're, I guess, I kids think, these days don't play in the dirt anymore, so mm. they catch these those their germs faster. Yeah. I was thinking of like the nullomancy aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Because the more I've been thinking, I'm sorry, I think I'm taking us off track, but the more I've been thinking about the nullomancy, I feel like the nullomancy I think should be the, the focal point of pretty much everything you do when you're off of outside of the verge mm-hmm. like well i mean there could be melomantic hospitals and right they're the ones that provide things that keep the verge from taking back over they create yeah. whatever crystal torch light sigils using our idea was anti-iliaster mm-hmm. to hold everything at bay okay but there's got to be some sort of limiting factor on that too otherwise everyone could just carry an anti-iliaster torch into right. the verge and everything <laughs> shrinks yeah. away yeah but so let's talk about, so it's a very interesting chapter, so I'll come mm-hmm. back to that. It's a very interesting chapter. Um, he says, know when to moderate and know when to cut. He says yeah. that you have your idea, but then it might be too much. You might have to tweak it. Don't be mm-hmm. married to it. And he also says, hey, you're if you're a game designer, hang on to it. If you don't use it now, you might use it down the line. So one time I was following this YouTuber um, for, he was like, uh, how to draw, like an, an art YouTuber. Um, you see the issues rising up. <laughs> but oh, was, yeah. So, um, but he, w- what was really interesting about him and his first chapters was he was, you know, he's telling how to draw an eye or right? an eyeball. And as he's talking, he says something interesting that I keep in mind when I do anything creative from that point on, uh, which is don't cherish everything you have. Because, because if you cherish it, you know, that's why when you draw that one good picture, you never draw another one again. Or because you cherish it, you um, almost basically like dote on it. And to the point where you may just ruin the picture you have. You know, you had too many details. You know, maybe you're drawing a mountain. And you're like, you know, a bird would look. Wouldn't it be cool if a bird was flying over there? You have too many happy trees. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, look, look at that sun. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a bird? Ooh, you know, I bet you could. I bet you could see a wolf if a wolf. You know, and then after a while, he's he's like, you know, because you cherish this one picture so much, you've overpopulated. You've ruined it. That which you cherish is gone. Um, he said, so be careful. You know, like what you like what you're doing, but if you cherish it, you'll you'll smother it. Hmm. And creatively, I think that's what right. we would want to avoid here. Well, that, I think this is what we kind of do when we're like, "That's too big. Let's make it smaller." Right? Because you know? I think we're at least somewhat aware of it. But it's something to keep in mind too. All right. So, using the advice from the first part of the book mm-hmm. by Wolfgang Bauer, yeah, and the advice in the second part of the book by Rob Heinsu, I think we should leap into at least getting some ideas down on paper for the idea behind revergence. And this might take an episode or two to get through the whole thing. Obviously, yeah. we're not in a rush and i'm going to remind myself that we don't have an advance from a publishing company and we are not on a deadline and we're not any other deadline than our own deadline yeah the only 
for anyone listening, the only deadline we have is that we want to make sure we continue our weekly commitment to exactly. doing episodes. Like that's Which a also forces for a weekly, right yeah, yeah. The weekly commitment to making the episodes also make forces the weekly commitment of doing the creative work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. again, if you see this as a creative writing exercise as well, this is yeah. the number one advice to writers: is write, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even if it's bad. Write. Do something. Yeah. Do something. It's better than doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So I have my my marker in hand, mm-hmm. my blank sheet of paper. Revergence. <laughs> We're gonna have that really awkward. Like, who's the? If I had a button to press for cricket sounds, this would be yeah. the point where I would cricket. What is revergence? Revergence is either, okay, um, it's either a boon or a bane that you can receive from this world soaked in Iliaster. Okay. Right? Is it a boon or a bane, or is yeah. it a boon and then you a bane? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sure. So, so just for anyone listening, this is literally, I mean, we are literally working this out right now. We are. If there's any really significant prolonged silences, if, if we'll, there's a weird we'll cut those jump, down. Yeah, if there's a weird jump, if one of our consonants gets cut off, it's because we're cutting out gaps that Gaps are of titanic proportion. <laughs> yeah. So it's a boon to a bane. So far, we mm-hmm. haven't cut anything. Yeah. It's a boon to a bane. So should we have something before boon? Uh, what do you mean? Like something that is unaffecting. Oh, okay, so okay. in my head, like, if you are moving towards a benefit, maybe the first step in the process of revergence mm-hmm. is not a boon. It's, I can't think of the word off the top of my head, something that doesn't matter. Oh, okay. So in my head, I have the word aesthetic. So maybe the first step in revergence is an aesthetic change. Oh, it's like cosmetic? Cosmetic. There you go. So okay, we so start with cosmetic. Yep. So uh, revergence can give you a cool looking tattoo or growth a or growth or something that's just neat looking. Okay. Right. So it, that would be like step one. Bad, right? And I feel like, as again, I'm trying to think about it, like as a player, what's something cool to player? You want that? I'm, hey, I'm a player. I want a cool thing. I've got antler growing out of my forearm. Right. I was just thinking like a clawed hand. Or, or a clawed, uh, you know, a, well, a clawed hand would eventually have a boon. Right. But like maybe I start to sprout fur. Right. Animalistic hand. Um, so Aesthetically. If the first step would be cosmetic, and then from cosmetic, it would go to boon, mm-hmm. and then from boon, the boons would get stronger right? until finally they become Diminishing banes. returns, yeah. Diminishing returns. And I, how do you design a slippery slope? Yeah. I don't know. Because like I'm just... So if I'm just going to go with this animalistic hand, first it's like, hey, cool. I'm starting to get an animalistic hand. <laughs> now I have claws. That's cool. Um, you know... Uh, and oh, it's going up my whole arm. Now my arm is stronger. Yeah. You know, now I have a bear strength. I'm again I'm using just something basic. We're just, gen- we're just spitballing yeah. in general. Now terms. I have now I have bear strength and, and you know, I don't know how far we take it. Oh, now my other arm is doing it, right? Like, cool. Now I have two bear strength arms with really cool claws, and all of a sudden I can't form a sentence. What is happening? Why can't I you, form a sentence? Right. Why am I I'm you know, now I'm growling. Now I'm at a disadvantage when I use a weapon, but I get an advantage when I use you these lose your claws. opposable thumb. Right. That's, I mean, that's what I'm, you know, that again, literally just as I'm going, that's how I could see it becomes a bane. It and gets really good and maybe you should stop while it's really good. You know, maybe just the, the, um, just the hand was good enough, but maybe you want to chance it in an arm and they get like a, you know, a plus to damage on that arm and you just keep pushing it until all of a sudden now you can't use your weapon. Now you can't wear your armor anymore, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So I, I would guess. What causes, what are going to be the things that cause steps? So if this is a, let's say that this is a progression chart, okay. like madness, mm-hmm. or some sort of version of, like there's corruption in Dungeons of Drakenheim, there's madness in Call of Cthulhu, there's, um, what what causes this to advance on the progression chart? 
Is it spending a certain number of nights in the verge? Is it being exposed to raw iliaster? Or is there several different things that cause you to have to advance on the chart? And then as you advance on the on the progression of revergence, each level has, hey, roll this. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that seems, I don't know. See, so this is where like it gets like really mechanically and weedy. Yeah. So let's say that there are several there are several things that happen. There's several mm-hmm. triggers yeah. that cause you gaining I'm gonna say I'm gonna use the term gain a level in revergence. I hate it, but I'm just for the for yeah. the shorthand for our creation process. Yeah. We have a list of things that happen. Exposure to raw iliaster. Mm-hmm. Maybe spending too many nights in the verge. Yep. Um, maybe certain attacks by certain say, infected monsters bit by infected, one but you like know, it could be your dengue fever exactly it could be something you catch from something. taking a certain amount of damage from uh a a revergent monster right which would feed the mechanic into the monster design exactly yeah. so what also would feed your like but then like what's the mechanical implication there like if you become revergent to a certain level can you start infecting other people can you infect your your uh, friends in game and things mm-hmm. like that. So we have a list of condition of things that cause you to gain a level of revergence. Mm-hmm. The first level or two is cosmetic. Mm-hmm. After that, your cosmetics turn into a boon. Simple things like bonuses. What are some other like? Um, Can there be um, specific revergent like feats? Or is that well, that's what I was wondering. Can you take a feat? So we have a list of things that can happen without you wanting it to. Mm-hmm. But can you also choose to take a revergent feat? Right, like bear hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like clawed hand, yeah. Like I was born with a bear claw. Um, yeah. Okay. The This also, by the way, I think would be good for creating, later in the TBD, magic items that can be used to halt the progression of mm-hmm. revergence. Yeah. Because maybe it shouldn't be curable. Oh, well, yeah. The, character-wise, that would make the actual decision matter. It could be, yeah, you could... Yeah, maybe it shouldn't be reversible. Because in my head, I've always thought of it as being reversible. Like, I can go to a Nullamancer, and they can cast the Nullamantic, you know, Greater Restoration, and I can have the vines that are growing through my bloodstream removed. But then, does that just open up a door where, oh, here's a cool mechanic that players are going to take, I mean, but are they're we always going to have an easy out for not... Are we allowed to make the mechanic where, if I choose to take on Revergence, um, I, I, I can't undo it, but if a monster hits me with something... I have a window of time. Window of time is a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. Window. Here my scratching. A window of time. If you take the feet. So, yeah, I. Rock in a hard place. Mm-hmm. Bring it back to rock in a hard place. I feel like being able to undo it easily shouldn't happen. Yeah. It's got to be. That tells me. Well, it should take you away from what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, it, so say you're. Um, and that will have to be, I would think, some flexibility on the DM's part that they have to be ready for. So if you get hit and all of a sudden I have um, some kind of grand Nolomancer, again, we haven't done classes, and now all of a sudden he, can, he can't hold back. Eh, that's probably not a good example. Somebody's, somebody's been hit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and even though, yes, we're following your adventure in this direction, um, you chose to expose us to a creature that is going to expose us to Iliaster two degrees that we don't want. We as a group may decide, you know, we're going to double back. You know, we had just seen that we had seen signs of a village off in that one direction. We're going in that direction to see if they can help us. Mm-hmm. Because we have our window of time. Yeah, suck out this snake venom. Okay. Right? Um, and it could be something. So we could, I have a feeling that making it something as simple as getting bit or scratched by right. a revergent monster mm-hmm. is too easy. Yeah. Too easy. 
mm-hmm. um, because it's going to happen a lot. Yeah, that's true. You get you get bit a lot. You got to be Dungeons pumped and Dragons. Full of it. Right. Maybe getting dropped to zero hit points by a revergent monster mm-hmm. is something that you know maybe just dropped to zero. Maybe we've talked about the revergent template. Maybe one of the aspects of the revergent template we put on beasts and monsters is that they have. I'm gonna How about we it. alter the death saving throw mechanic to include Ooh. revergent resistance? <gasps> like that's. Oh, that's a great. Like, hey, you lived. Congratulations. However, because your body wasn't actively resisting and oh. pushing. Oh, you, you failed couldn't. your first death save. Okay. Yeah. That's a level of revergence if you come back. Yeah. Oh, you failed cool. too? Mm, that's. Yeah. Oh, but only if you're killed or taken down to zero by sure. revergent monster. Yeah. So just, again, it's on the paper. I've got it on the paper. Hear the scritching. So it's a death save mechanic. Again, we'll probably end up over-designing this and then having to t- dial it back. But well, I mean, isn't cutting? That was that's the, we're gonna We're going to yeah. cut. So right. we're throwing everything on the plane. <laughs> so window of time, not reversible. You can take feats to move your... You can take a feat to voluntarily up yourself mm-hmm. in the revergent scale. You can also probably take right. a feat to make yourself revergent resistant. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. you get advantage. So should each level include a saving throw? What do you mean? Like So you get take down... You get take taken down to zero by something or you fall into a well of iliaster mm-hmm. direct exposure to iliaster is a for every how to best explain this so for every type of exposure that would normally increase your level of revergence mm-hmm. should there, there should be a save mechanically oh, most okay. things have yeah. a save a chance to resist it so because we're um, not trying to take people's characters away so we're going to we're going to go to uh i'm just going to go to our game so Candlekeep. it's it's raven resisting sure know, having a chance to resist the dark because otherwise passenger. you're railroading yeah okay like i've thrown this monster at you guys haha you're virgin revergent, revergent, and what's right. the what's the fun in that now i'm just taking your character away right because i think that should be the end the end should be you lose your character yeah oh yeah you become a tree mm-hmm. or, or you become a, a jaguar yeah or whatever it becomes yeah yeah so with each level or based on and it could be a different kind of save based on the type of mm, motivating factor that moved you up the chart yeah getting taken to zero is different than getting exposed to raw iliaster which is different than spending two weeks in the verge Mm -hmm. or a month in the verge if you spend a month in the verge without leaving the verge you got to roll a saving throw right to make sure that or without having something to because if you you think about it in that case that's just exposure to the air the water the Mm -hmm. flora the fauna basically you're just slow cooking you're Mm -hmm. you're, you're in the the esterokian I like the name of the world. I don't like Esterokian. Um, Esterosian? Esterosian? I mean... I don't know. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The the Esterok equivalent of the slow cooker. Yeah. So, the, the sweat tent. So, we've got dropping to zero. Mm-hmm. We've got too much time. We've got feats. We've got exposure to raw iliaster. Any others you can think of? Well, we're not... No. I mean, not not that would mechanically be all that different, right? No, I can't think of it. So, okay, so let's... So what is it again? Go over it again. Getting dropped to zero mm-hmm. by yep. a um, revergent monster. Mm-hmm. Or we could also say taking a certain amount of damage by a revergent monster. But basically, being well, hurt by a revergent monster yeah, in, in yeah, a significant yeah. we'll way. Figure, we'll figure that out. Yep. Spending enough time in the verge. Mm-hmm. Or spending enough time exposed to Iliaster okay. and the nature. Because, again, I have that image of the... Iliaster doesn't just merge you to nature. That's going to be like, I think, one of our secrets. Although, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, you, right. you, you get the secrets. Right. Is that I imagine there to be a clan of dwarves 
that tried to isolate themselves in a mountain mm-hmm. and built mechanical wonders and then were surprised to find themselves slowly merging with their own mechanical wonders right until they became automatons themselves right and they because lost of themselves. what yes and it's because of the nature of Iliaster right that I think because you and I both pretty much agree on what it Iliaster is. is not nature juice yeah it is not it is creation juice it is but everyone thinks it's nature juice because the most obvious right. manifestation of it is the verge and nature trying to fight back. Yes. But in reality, we both have our idea about what Iliaster is and anyone playing in the game can make it whatever they want. Mm-hmm. We've seen it as, and it was based on the idea of it, the raw material of creation. Right. It I, makes gods. It makes people. It makes magic work. It, it makes is, magic work. It is consolidated belief. Yes. It's consolidated belief. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's that piece that's missing. So when you do a spell to, to me, and I think we're pretty much right yeah. there, but to me it's, yeah, your spell may require, you know, eye of newt and a certain incantation of words and that's great. You do them, but the, but you need that. There's a, there's a belief that shaking, you know, that, that doing the motions that you're doing and saying the things that you're saying and holding the items you're holding are, you need, there's a belief component and that's actually the, that's what triggers the magic. And that's what I see Iliaster as. It's the, it's the fuel for that. It is susceptible to perception. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and when it's out and raw like this is why we can have all these kind of wondrous, Mm -hmm. crazy things happen because it's not being, you know, we would, one time we said it was like the blood of gods. Like it's what makes them work. Right. But it's not inside anything. So everyone can use it and grab it. And also allows for all kinds of expansions later. Sure. You know, you get to another side of, the colossal expanse and these people use it totally different to those you know if we come up with another mechanic we like and the mm-hmm. people on the other side based are like, on different areas of the world yeah it'd be, it could be really fun all right so we have an idea of a progression chart we have an idea of a yeah. list of create uh, of elements to instigate advancement on that chart mm-hmm. and we have the general gist of how we want that chart to go aesthetic mechanically beneficial mm-hmm. stronger mechanical beneficial then maybe a blend of beneficial plus minor setback right then smaller benefit larger setback mm-hmm. major setback yeah. and at that point there should be probably something is that you get to a certain point on the progression chart and it starts to progress even if you don't want it to oh it yeah. starts to progress yeah, it's gotta be out of your hands faster and auto- more automatically mm-hmm. so then you have to work harder part of your campaign is probably going to be centered around making sure that you don't advance on that chart and that's going to be a challenge mm-hmm. you ever played the game uh, forbidden island yeah Yep. Yeah, it's got that round where every round something's sinking and you're frantically trying to shore it up, mm-hmm. but it's continuing to sink. I would love to have a mechanic that captures that. Yeah, yeah. Once you reach a certain point, it's just frantically plugging plugging the holes yep. in the sinking boat. Well, remember, I also wanted the mechanic. Remember my my wish my my wish mechanic is four legged sentient player characters. <laughs> four legged sentient player characters. Like I want to be able to play as a wolf. dungeon master's nightmare. Yeah. So exactly. Ah. Uh, I mean, it doesn't Can have to happen. Can I play a centaur? Would... Oh, please no, don't. not a centaur, though. Remember, it'd be Red 13 from Final Fantasy. I, I want to be a cool wolf thing. Oh, anyway, that's right. You showed yeah. me a picture. Yeah, that's As what someone I... who has not played Final Fantasy, I'll take yeah. your word for it. No, it's just cool. Um, all right. So then we have our we have our progression, and we mm-hmm. have some ideas that about undoing it. So that leads us to a lot of different mechanical options. So why don't we stop here for today yep. and put some of this together in a little bit more concrete form, and then go over it in our next episode you know we had on here have we said hex flower we haven't how about we just say hex flower because this is a complicated concept so we say hex flower we put the we put the note in the links right because you're not going to get this on one pass nope um so we will bring up hex flower next time or at least in the future 
So because, as a listener, it might be a good idea to begin. Yeah, for those of you at home who are like, what What yeah. the heck are they talking about? What yeah. is a hex flower? It's another way of progress. Well, it's something we saw and read about. And, and we're wondering about maybe using it to progress. Maybe we'll use it. So and, it's a teaser of things to come. Yeah, well, it's it's... It's it's a book club. It's a book club piece. It's it's a book club assignment <laughs> because I don't know. It's going to be tough to explain. Right. So if you're only. listening from this yeah. episode to the next mm-hmm. episode, we're going to put a link in the show notes to a blog post about something called a hex flower. I don't know if it's going to work for what we yeah. want it to work for. No idea. But it's a cool concept. Mm-hmm. It's a mechanic, and read about it. And then if we bring it in in the next episode, you won't be going, "What the heck are they talking? What well, is we that will hex still, flower?" We will, that being said, we will still do our best. But if you're really into this, it would help to read it in yeah. advance. This is listeners at home. This is your homework. Yeah, exactly. read about hex flowers. Yes, if you want. If but you will still take care of you either way but we'll try our best but if you're really into it if you're really into what we're doing here i think it'd be a good idea to read mm-hmm. in advance to have something because it's very complicated well, i mean I, I think but i think this is a good start yeah. and we're gonna have a mechanic yep and i don't mind even putting that you know that first step of that mechanic mm-hmm. on uh like a blog post with this episode on the website yeah so that friends at home is our time for today mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for listening and supporting our show uh, and for more information or to pursue the latest drafts of our creation, visit our website at the fourth pillar of play. That's all spelled out. Uh, where you can also like, follow, or message us on Twitter or Instagram. And I also want to thank uh, Daisy the podcast dog for being so cooperative. Yes, Daisy the podcast <laughs> dog the has been time. wonderful. She's just been snoozing away behind me and not even snoring that loudly. Yeah, and not even banging on the door, which nope. is actually so. Maybe nice. this should be our default. This, this, this is going to be Daisy the podcast dog is always here. Yeah. So. so thank you again. Hey, we look forward to creating with all of you. Yeah. All right. right. See you guys. Bye, everyone.